Check, check. West Bulls, good morning. I am coming. I, uh, in order to understand the generation we're talking about today, I wanted to dress like them. So um, here it goes. Just uh, give me a second here. Well, I'm glad this is amusing to you guys because this is the most uncomfortable I have ever been up here, ever. We're in this series on intergenerational relationships, and you can imagine we're talking about millennials today, also known as Generation Y, which really brings me to a question. Why? My head is itchy. I these are fake and I can't see through them. My, my body's burning up. The, the shoes say, let's go play basketball, and the, the pants scream, we're not going to let you. So, um, <laughs> anyhow. This is already really hot up here. So, um, anyway. Hey, thank you for being here this morning. Um, we're in this series, as I just said, called Better Together. And in this series, we're really hoping that, uh, and praying, that we would gain a better understanding of one another as generations, but um, also just an understanding of what God is bringing through each generation. And so um, this morning, obviously, talking about millennials, and millennials, um, if I could just share a couple things about them, because my wife and I got to spend 19 years doing youth ministry here at the church, and uh, many of those that came up through the youth group are part of this millennial generation now as young adults. And uh, we are actually truly excited to see what God is doing through them. But um, I know there's been, there, there's misunderstandings between generations. And so um, I wanted to share this morning a few things that just long term I've observed that uh, I've also, as I t I've sat down and talked with some young adults, um, to help us all understand a little bit better. Um, first off, this is a generation that is incredibly, they have more access to information than any generation that has come before them, any whatsoever. I mean, they have these two like short-term passing fads that happened as they were children called the internet and smartphones, and uh, those weren't such fads. They were here to stay, and as a result, they were given access to so much more information than any generation before them growing up. And so, I, sorry, I don't even know who I'm looking at right now, but... Um, they, it's been interesting the last few weeks when we've talked about record players and we've talked about Walkmans and we've talked about Discmans. Uh, you, you can see some of, the, some of the younger ones in here go, what is that? It's because these guys, they didn't live in that world. They, they grew up in a very digital world. And so for us, the amount of information and entertainment we could carry around, it was really limited to what we could physically carry around. Discs, tapes, books. These guys now, they carry it all right here. An entire library of movies, music, and books right here. So they've got so much information at their fingertips, but that has also contributed to some, some issues on the other end. Because they have also been, they grew up with 9-11. They saw 9-11. They saw Columbine. And because of their access to information and social media, 
they just they had much a much closer look at those things than any other crisis that any of us experienced in our lifetime. They just had a, a firsthand look live while it was happening. And so um, that's that's one trait of this generation: the information access. But the, there's another one, and it's they truly, truly have great expectations. I love, there's a, there's a woman named Elizabeth Nesbitt. She's at um, Denver Seminary. And she wrote a book on uh, the different generations. And she says this about millennials. I thought this was just too good not to share. She said, while this generation is often labeled as entitled, she said, I'd vouch that a better term is expectant. And here's what she says. She says, millennials do not generally bring with them an attitude that they are owed certain things in life, such as certain levels of treatment, validation, or affirmation. Instead, they, like all of us, assume that their future experiences will duplicate the patterns, rewards, consequences, and norms of past experiences. And if we want to understand what those expectations are, all we have to do is look at their past experiences, because they were celebrated. They were probably celebrated more than any other generation before them. The, partici the participation trophies that we joke about, well, that was actually somebody acknowledging that you are more than your achievement. And they grew up with that. And so, yes, they do have great expectations. But they also value their way of doing it. There's a self-expression piece to them. In fact, all I need to say is this, hashtag. Right? This is their way of, of expressing themselves. I thought this was pound sign or tic-tac-toe, but it's hashtag, I love hashtags, okay? And so they have hashtags, they have social media, which is a place to express themselves. The way they, the way they dress, this is a way to express themselves. I, again, I don't know how you do it. <sighs> I'm getting a little more comfortable, a little bit more comfortable. But they also just value that individualism. Last week, Thomas talked about Generation Xers and how they valued individualism, but in terms of what they were kind of against. They were very anti. Not so with the millennials. The millennials say, no, 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 I'm an individual, and you're an individual, and we should celebrate one another. And there's a great spirit of celebration in this generation. And finally, there's also there's, there's one more piece to this generation. They, they, as much as they value individualism, they also value being part of the greater whole. In fact, they have this term that they love to use, tribe. Who's my tribe, right? They just want to have a tribe. And, and so you know what that means um, for the Xers and the boomers and the silent generation? They like you. They really like you. And, and see, I'm part of the Xers. You, you looked at us, and if you came and said hi to us, it was like, we kind of looked at you funny. You go say hi to a millennial, and they love you. They absolutely love you. And so um, I'm, I'm putting to words as much as I can, but I think maybe the best way for you to begin to understand is to hear them for yourself. So take a look at this video. Social media for our generation is, is, has shaped so, so much of how you interact with people and who your friends are, how you meet your friends, how you meet your spouse, all of those things. Like you want people to see what you're doing 
Like you, part of you wants to like almost make people jealous of what you're doing. It's like an acceptance thing. You yeah. feel accepted. It's, you there's cool. instant gratification. Yeah. And at the same time, kind of make you look better on social media because you're like, oh, I'm actually out doing things. When in reality, like you just went by a coffee shop for an hour and then spent the rest of the day watching Netflix at home. You know, the joke is you'll find a millennial at a coffee shop or uh, microbreweries are exploding everywhere. But really, what is the the important thing behind all of those and that's getting people together to have a real meaningful connection. It's like I love the aspect of coming together for a cup of tea because you, you can slow down and you can have that that face-to-face -face interaction so that's probably where yeah coffee shops are, have been a big thing is because there is that like you, you finally get to just sit down and and not have to be running around like crazy. Columbine happened um, when we were in elementary school and that was something that impacted me greatly because my dad was on the SWAT team during Columbine. Looking back on it, I kind of wish I wasn't allowed to watch what was going on while it was happening because it was just kind of, it was very raw and um, kind of scary. That was kind of when we learned at a very young age that um, you can die at school and that was kind of unheard of. And, then shortly later in middle school, we learned that um, you know your family members could die in a terrorist attack. Of course, like I, I do remember, like September 11th, like I, I was in first grade, I think I was like six years old. I just remember like sitting in front of the TV and watching the footage. That was probably one of my like the earliest memories that I can recall. To me, that's the one thing that is like it was like the world was one way before then, and then it was very different after that. There's just a lot of just like being afraid of what might happen. Where before that, it was sort of just like, woohoo, like I can go ride my bike wherever. I can go, if I wanted to, I didn't, but if I wanted to, we could fly across the country and everything was safe. And then all of a sudden it was like, I don't want to fly because I don't know what's gonna happen. The worry for me became just losing people that I love, um, whether that be car accident or, um, you know, just something just tragic, I think it just, really put into perspective how, how short life is. I think you you don't go into the future so blissfully, honestly. I think that you are aware that anything could happen at any time and you need to know what you're gonna do. Things that were just, oh, we're going on a trip, oh, we're going to a concert, oh, we're going to a movie. All of a sudden it's, okay, I'm in here now and I know I'm gonna be fine, but where's the exit? Church isn't confined to a building. It isn't confined to a day. Like church is, like we are the church. Like we are sons and daughters of God and we carry God wherever we are and we can hear from God wherever we are, we can worship wherever we are, we can pray wherever we are. There are there are places even when you're with your group of friends that you're all believers and you're having these conversations about God or just uh, you know about why we're here you're you're thinking through these things and I can say oh this is this is almost like church or God is with us but at the same time if that is the, the only uh, degree of church that you're getting I I think you're cutting yourself short. You can find God and worship God in several different ways, but you're not going to get to that place without having the church, which is the community, the body of Christ, to um, keep you accountable and keep you um, moving forward. For me, I experience God. I feel like it's such a, a mix of church and, and building with Sunday mornings and Sunday school and and things like that, but so much beyond that, I, I feel like it's the community within the walls of church. I think if you're not experiencing God and you're weak and in different ways, you're missing out on a lot. But I also think you miss out on a lot of not coming to church. 
And there's, a, there's an aspect here that if you dig deep into it, and if you look at it, and if you, if, you, if you give time to it, it cultivates something. Our generation is no longer the, you have one job and you hold it for 40 years, and you retire and then can go travel and do those things. But I feel like millennials or our generation in, in general focuses on more of the present. You know, in elementary school, there was Columbine. In middle school, there was 9-11. And then in high school, we have the uh, stock market crash and the economy plummets. And so in high school, we got to watch family members and neighbors lose homes and uh, jobs and careers. And we saw parents who put, you know, 20 years in a, into a business suddenly unemployed or, uh, and so that, you know, that weighed on us. Yeah, I, I understand why somebody that did, you know, put 40 hours a week in for 40 years would be like, hey, you need to decide on something and like do it. I, I totally get that and I wish that I could do that. Like I wish that I would be pumped about that, but I'm honestly not. Again, that's not to say that I don't have a good work ethic. It's just to say that I'm going to prioritize my life and the people in my life more than money. I don't want to live a life where 40 hours a week I am I'm doing something that I you know I don't love and I'm not passionate about just to make money so that I can afford a house that I leave every day to go do something that I don't love and just have time on the weekends like I don't want to I don't want to live my life for the weekends yeah you want to set up your life right and you want to be financially secure and, and and all this stuff but there's also that aspect of like no these are the dreams and and things that god has put in my heart and i want to to seek after that even though i have no idea how it's going to happen and it's terrifying um and so i think i just kind of live in that that tension a lot telling people that they're wrong and doing things wrong is is what has given christians such a bad rap in this uh, with this generation and in this day and age. For us to reach out to our generation, what it looks like isn't, like you were saying, like standing on a corner with a sign, be like, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Because that, in a way, that'll just feed into that stereotype. It is difficult for me, um, because if you say something, people will get mad. But if you don't say something, you don't want people to still keep living in like their sin. Um, and so I've had some talks with my friends, but Ultimately, it just has to be love because um, they won't receive it any other way. I've never argued someone into faith, you know? It's never been an argument I've had over faith where the outcome of it is, well, man, you're right. I should be a Christian. It's like it just doesn't happen. I think as long as it's like, no, this is what I, I truly believe in my heart, but I'm not going to look down on you and I'm not going to punish you for what, what you think, you know, because it's like, yeah, I'm there just to to show that person love and to be like, to, to see them as a human being. At the end of the day, I can't judge you because you sin differently than me. I am a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all, we're all sinners. So if, if your sin is homosexuality and mine is something else, who am I to tell you that you should change that about yourself or anything else about yourself if I'm not changing? I've kind of learned I have to live my life according to the Bible for you know for a long period of time really get to know someone well and then once you gain that trust then you can kind of open up to okay well here this is what i believe it's like if the if the world doesn't see that love first then you haven't gained the right to be heard yeah. i think our generation is kind of the speak up generation so if if we're not happy with something we're going to say it and i think that's very 
very obvious with social media and um, a lot of the social um, efforts that are going around. Like 20 years ago, me and I were able to know that your shirt was made by like kids in like Vietnam or something. But now we do know those things are like that that coffee corporation is buying beans and ripping off the farmers and the farmers are barely making it by. Like we, we see that, we know that, and we're like, okay, we can make an impact and make a difference on that. I don't necessarily care how much I make, how stable my life is, what kind of house I live in, um, you know, other than of course, like that, the faith component, I really just want to be happy and find fulfillment in what I'm doing. It's just so easy to see the bad in, and that's what gets kind of put in our faces constantly. It's just the, the bad that our generation does or the bad that, you know, the, the, the industries we're killing or the, um, the things we're doing to, you know, to ruin life for people and I don't, I don't feel like I'm ruining anyone's life. We want to do things properly or do things with excellence and do things that matter and can have an impact. Uh, that's really all that I, that I hope for and I hope that involves, a, you know, having, starting a family and having a great friend group but, you know, that, those are the things that I really desire, the stability I could, I could honestly care less about. Starting to get used to this. <laughs> um, hey, I forgot to ask, if you were born 1982 through 2001 and are considered a part of that millennial generation, will you raise your hand? All right, all right. Well, and then I know we have some downstairs as well. Well, um, as I look around at even the hands that are raised, I think the thing that jumped out to me was, was actually the years of working with this generation when they were in junior high and in high school. Um, because as I thought about this week and as I was, I've been thinking about this passage, actually it goes all the way back to the series we did on Mark. And there was this passage there that just kept jumping out at me. And I think that it just, it put so much on my heart for you millennials. And so this morning, I don't want to talk about you as much as I want to talk to you, but also to all of us, because I believe there's something very rich in this passage. It's in Mark chapter 7 that shows us we truly are better together. And so if you've got your Bibles, we'll be in Mark chapter 7. Um, and let me, let me just dive in here. Jesus has just come out of a conversation with his disciples, and it was a, uh, you get the sense that it might have been a bit of a frustrating one for him. And um, let's read Mark chapter 7. This is verse 24. It says, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. Now, Tyre, if you know anything about Tyre, it was not looked upon favorably. The prophet Ezekiel actually screamed out all kinds of stuff against Tyre because it was known for its arrogance. And so Jesus, he's walking into this region that kind of has a bad rap. Well, keep going. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. Have you had those days? when you just don't want to be found. I, I read this and I flashed back to Lainey over here. She's, she's our junior hire now, three years old. I had a day that I just couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. I locked myself in the bathroom and you've seen this, but this actually happened. Her hand just came under the door. 
I was like, no, I, I just don't want to be found right now. I really just don't want to be found. It was kind of like a horror movie, okay? But anyhow, so this, this is what Jesus may be facing in this moment. My words, not his, okay? Verse 25, in fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman, a woman, we've talked about this lately, women were not viewed very highly by society. A woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. So not only is she a woman not viewed very highly, but she's in a really rough situation. She's got a crisis going on. Verse 26, the woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. And if, if you listen to some of the stuff Jesus was saying, it wouldn't seem like this woman with a Greek background would really be even in his, his line of sight, his focus. He was thinking about the Jews, based on what we were hearing some of the stuff he said. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. So stop and think about this. If you put all this together, you've got somebody who appears to be the wrong person, with the wrong background, in the wrong place, coming to Jesus at the wrong time, in a really rough situation. In a really rough situation. And this passage actually challenged me so much as I've sat with it. Because I went through and I just saw all these details, and I thought, oh my goodness. If those are the details I picked out about this woman's life, hmm, what do I pick out about everybody else's lives? More specifically, when I, when I think about the millennial generation, what are the details I pick out about their lives? You know, one of them shared it up there. A lot of times they feel like the bad is put in their face. And I think this passage is really a challenge for us to consider what we see in somebody's situation. Because a lot of times when we highlight that stuff, we, we make them feel like their situation says just quit. Just quit. Just quit. And so I got thinking about the millennials, and I thought, man, they, they do. Uh, if, if I'm just being objectively honest, they've gotten a bad rap. They have, they've had some details magnified by even myself included. I mean, I will be the first to say I'm sorry to Generation Y millennials, because I've often thought the term millennials is like a condition that you come down with. Yeah, they would say, no, that's who we are. That's part of our, it's part of what identifies us. It kind of reminds me of um, just short jokes. Like, I'm actually very aware that I'm short, but I'll have people come share a short joke with me. Listen, I know them all, okay? We could engage in a back and forth, I'll win, okay? <laughs> but um, the millennials, when you talk to them and when you listen to them, they're very aware. They're very aware of what People think about them. They are. And so I think we have a challenge, first of all, in this passage, to consider what we see about this generation. But it gets compounded by what comes out next. Listen to what comes out next. And I actually want to go to this same story in Matthew, because Matthew includes a detail in Matthew chapter 15 that Mark doesn't include, but I think it's very important for us to look at. Matthew, same point in the conversation, verse 23 says, Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. 
three sentences and three things that could be taken away here. God's not answering. His followers seem to not want them, want her. And then his statement feels like he's saying, you're not part of the purpose. Not answering, not wanted, not included. That's a tough place to be, isn't it? And I know we all can relate to being in that place. But I think what this really brings together from that first passage we looked at to now is that when the situation seems to say quit and God seems quiet, faith can get very fragile. It can get very fragile. This generation, the millennials, um, numerous surveys and studies have been done, and they are at an alarming rate, alarming rate, leaving the church worldwide. They're leaving the church. And, and see, for, for the silent generation and for the boomers and even for us Gen Xers, we were used to thinking about society as unchurched and unchristian. But the millennial generation is quickly becoming post-churched and post-Christian. They're thinking, I've been there, done that. I, I've had the camp experience. I, uh, I want to try something else. Because I think for many of them, if you listen to them, if you just listen to them, their situation feels like it's saying quit. And God feels quiet. And so it's at this point, I believe that we as a church, worldwide but also West Bowles, we are at a crossroads. And we have a tremendous opportunity. And the opportunity really comes out of what the text says next. Take a look. We'll continue in Matthew 15. Verse 25. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me. She said, he replied, verse 26, it is not right to take the children's bread, he's referring to the Jews, the children's bread, and toss it to the dogs. Now we read that and we think, whoa, that was offensive. But when you look at the original language, language, he's talking about puppies. It's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the puppies. How many have dogs in here? How many of them are near your table when you are eating? Yeah, it's this image of just a pup. It's just sitting there wagging its tail. It's just waiting. And you could give it anything. And it'll stay there, but it'll be, it'll be somewhat happy. It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, if I could pause right here. Actually, if you could pause right here, imagine. That would be enough for Jesus to say that, for you to hear that from Jesus, would that not be enough to make any of us walk away discouraged? So I want you to stop and think, if you could pause that conversation, and if you could be standing there next to the woman in that moment, knowing what you know about Jesus, seeing what you've seen Jesus do, what would you say to her? What would you say? Would you let her walk away? Because as we've listened this last month, there are generations in here. You've seen the Great Depression. There are generations in here. You've seen World War II. You've seen the Cold War. You've seen Vietnam. You've seen life, you've lived life being handed scraps. You've dealt with empty pantries. And yet. And yet he brought you through it, didn't he? Because you're here. You're here today. 
because he brought you through it. See, I know a room full of people right now that you've been in situations that seem like they were saying quit. And you've been in those moments where God seemed really, really quiet. And yet, I don't know anybody in here that would look at that woman and say, yeah, I probably should just give up. <laughs> it doesn't look good for you. Like, if Jesus said that to you, I don't know anybody in here who would say that. But I see a room full of people who I think would say something very similar to what this woman replies to Jesus next. Look at what she says, verse 27. Yes, it is, Lord. Yes, it is. Well, are you telling Jesus he's wrong? <laughs> yes, it is, Lord. This is a statement that, Jesus, I know you better than what you just said. And I think you're trying to figure something out about me. Yes, it is, Lord. She replied, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. You know what she's saying? Jesus, all I need are your crumbs. All I need are your crumbs. And you know what, Jesus, I know you're powerful enough that all you need are the crumbs to do something so incredible and so powerful in my life. That's a statement of somebody, that's what somebody says who has seen him at work. And they know that he is good. And they know that he is loving. And they know he's a good father. All I need are crumbs. And Jesus, all you need are crumbs. <sighs> Silent generation. And baby boomers. And generation Xers. We do not have a woman in crisis right in front of us. But I think we have a generation in crisis in front of us. And you know what they need? is not a reminder that their situation is saying quit. They don't need that reminder. You know what they need? They need somebody who can say from experience, I know you see a crisis of crumbs, but I know Jesus creates from the crumbs. That's what they need to see. And so as I was sitting with um, some young adults, we had about 20, 25 of them over for dinner a few weeks ago. And I just was listening to them, threw some questions out to them, because I wanted to know, hey, you know, what, how, do you, how do you see in life? And, and what kinds of things, really, do you value? And what kinds of things are you going through? And I started just writing some stuff they were saying up on this butcher paper. And after I had written a number of things down, I, I internally just had this conviction. I went, oh my goodness. I'm, I'm exactly like you are. We're not all that different. And, and as I looked at the values that were up on the board, you know what? They're some of the same values we've heard over the last few weeks. We're not all that different. A few of them stayed after them. They talked about some of the hard times they're going through. And I went, oh my goodness, I can relate. Because we're not all that different. And I realized part of what has been going on in me as I've thought about millennial as a condition you come down with, I've been looking at, I've been looking at, at their lives as though, well, here's what I did to get me through. And yet, I know that's not true. Nathan didn't get Nathan through anything. Jesus got Nathan through everything. And I bet it could be said about every single generation in here. When you look back on your life, you know full well you didn't get you through any of what you've gotten through. Jesus got you through that. In the crisis of crumbs, when life threw out scraps, 
Well, Jesus created out of the crumbs. And he created from the scraps. And if you need any further proof of that, all you got to do is look at the very next verse. Verse 28. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. What if back in verse 23 when it said Jesus did not answer? Well, what if he wasn't being difficult? What if he was actually just listening? And what if his disciples totally misinterpreted his silence? What if they had it wrong? And what if this rough thing that, that he said, that he said, I came only for the lost children of Israel, and it's not right to take their bread and toss it to the dogs, what if that wasn't being harsh? What if Jesus, because of the listening, knew exactly what he needed to say to the woman to draw out an expression of faith? Because you know what I think we're being reminded of here? Jesus answers crumb-sized faith with God-sized favor. Jesus answers crumb-sized faith with God-sized favor. He does. And I think the question for us, West Bowles, is are we, are we, for every generation, are we cultivating relationships and a place and a space wherever we're at that allows for expressions of crumb-sized faith? Because that's all Jesus needs. It's all he needs. And so, two points of application that I think would really help. I know they've helped me. And, and I just want to share them. First, first off, I, I think we've got to learn to see life through their eyes, through the eyes of this generation, this young adult generation. Because they're the ones dealing with the most major shifts in society as they come into adulthood. That verse, Matthew 15, verse 23, Jesus did not answer a word. You want to know maybe the best thing we could do? It's this point of application that actually comes up every single week Thomas has been sharing. Just go spend some time. Just listen. Maybe, maybe uh, this might be a big jump for some of you, but maybe we, maybe we walk in their shoes. Maybe you put on the whole outfit. This is actually getting pretty nice up here, millennials, all right? But maybe we listen. I know, I know, I, I personally have had opinions, but maybe the greatest thing we could do for one another is to listen. And then second, we see life through their eyes and we see them through Jesus' eyes. We see them through Jesus' eyes. It's really interesting that Jesus, when this woman came to him, he didn't think wrong person with the wrong background in the wrong place, at the wrong time, in a rough situation, begging me right now. He saw somebody with an opportunity who had an opportunity to have great faith. And so all Jesus was looking for was crumb, just crumb-sized faith. Maybe the most beautiful picture that I've, I've seen of this lately, it came out of this church. From the silent generation, Dale and Bev Teeters. There was, there was a young man who is here. There's a young man here who is part of the millennial generation, and um, he, he just, they came to find out he didn't, have, he didn't have a car. 
He didn't have a way to get anywhere. And, and I'm sure they could have asked him, well, why don't you have a car? When are you going to get a car? What's going on in life that you don't have a car? They could have asked all that. You know what they, you know what they asked him instead? Do you need a ride? We're going to church. Do you need a ride? And now that young man is here because they asked him. It was, it was crumb-sized faith to ask him the question. It was crumb-sized faith for him to answer. That's all it took. And you know what? This church is better off because of it. Jesus answers crumb-sized faith with God-sized favor. And so, as we transition into the baptisms this morning, I want, to, I want to pray that for the millennial generation, but I also, as we watch these baptisms, we have six people, Thomas, six people getting baptized. These are six people who, despite all that life has thrown at them, well, this is a reason for us to celebrate because this is an act of crumb-sized faith and so much more that God wants to reward with God-sized favor. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, well, thank you for a reminder that for all the details of our lives, all the stuff we could point out, you see differently. You're just looking for a crumb. And so this millennial generation, they, they have great, great expectations, not just for their own lives, but of what you're going to do in their lives. And so I pray, I pray that listening relationships would open up that we would begin to see and, and at least step into their shoes, maybe their clothes, and understand what they're walking through. But Lord, give us your eyes. You got to do that for us. Give us your eyes to see them and look for that crumb-sized faith and to point that out and to encourage it, to bring that out. We pray all this as we head into the baptisms. Bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.